This week on the Defense Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, if you're not collecting the right data, are you even collecting data? They can probably tell you chapter and verse about how many people are in what occupational series codes. But what the heck does that mean? You know, what we need to know is how many engineers and how many data specialists and how many AI specialists. And the Pentagon's new CDAO has a bureaucracy problem. I didn't expect him to say that weeks into his job, he still doesn't have a cat card. It's Wednesday, June 15th, 2022. Welcome to the Defense Scoop podcast. Every week you'll learn what's going on in defense technology. I'm the host of the Defense Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The new Chief Digital and Artificial Intelligence Office at the Pentagon's building a federated catalog for data sharing. Deputy CDAO for Enterprise Capabilities Greg Little says his office has a, quote, real opportunity to be able to support our warfighters in crises. Little says the catalog will be available for back office functions, too. Appropriations season in the department's underway this week. The House Appropriations Defense Subcommittee begins its markup process today. The markup's closed to the public. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other Defense Scoop stories at fedscoop.com. The Defense Department's civilian workforce management is, quote, behind the times. That quote comes from the Defense Business Board in work the Deputy Secretary of Defense asked the board to do. Deborah Lee James is chair of the Defense Business Board. She was the 23rd Secretary of the Air Force, and she's author of Aim High, Chart Your Course, and Find Success. Madam Secretary, it's great to talk to you. What did you and your colleagues on the, uh, the committee that drafted this refer to? What did you mean when you used that term behind the times? Welcome. Well, first of all, thank you, Francis. Always a pleasure to, to be with you and to talk about these important topics. Yeah, our group, which, by the way, was led by the former uh, vice chief of the Air Force, General Retired Larry Spencer, uh, delved into this. We uh, talked extensively to people in the government as well as people in the private sector. And there's just no question DOD is behind the times. So DOD operates its civilian personnel management largely on a body of law that was drafted without too, too much differences over the years, 50 years ago. So this is a 50-year-old body of law, and it is still governing. Um, but with that said, that is conventional wisdom, that DOD and civilian personnel management is hamstrung by law. It's hamstrung by compensation levels, which is not equivalent to the private sector. Although that is true to a degree, our study group uh, found that there was quite a bit that DOD could do of its own volition to improve the situation for the more than 900,000 civilian employees who are working in some very, very important areas across the department. Yeah, the challenge that I see as I read through your team's work, Debbie, is that this, these are the same issues that the civilian agencies are having in, in their civilian work, in their career workforces. Um, the, the, the hiring practices, hiring time, um, retention uh, issues, it's the same kinds of thing. Is there something about it that's different for the Defense Department than the civilian agencies? Do you have a sense? Or is this uh, a kind of a whole of government problem, the challenges being similar? Well, I think it is likely to be more of a whole of government um, set of challenges. And But again, I come back to, I think, each individual agency. I say this without having not, not having studied those other sure. agencies, but I think there is a more that can be done. So, so for example, just to give you some of our findings, 
Whereas the private sector prioritizes talent. It's the number one thing every company in America is focused on these days. If you contrast that to DOD, DOD says it focuses on talent, but when it comes to civilian talent in particular, it does not put its money or its attention where its rhetoric is. It just simply does not. I'd say our number two finding is whereas the private sector um, certainly focuses on short-term hiring needs, but the private sector also looks beyond to anticipated future needs. What kinds of skills and what kinds of people do we need and how are we going to train and develop them for the future? DOD simply does not. They are solely focused on a vacancy that exists today and how are we going to fill that vacancy? And then the third key thing is the private sector will increasingly track employee skills. They'll project future needs. And then they'll put in place the types of modern day HR management tools to help manage their talent and the data that they can acquire knowing what people have what skills. DOD simply does none of this. So these are three key differences, all of which DOD can improve upon. Let me ask you something on a personal level. You walked into the Air Force from SAIC, and I imagine that you saw these same things then, didn't you? You you saw you probably walked in there and sat down and said, we don't, we would never think of doing things this way in a for-profit company, the way that things are happening here. What moves the needle then in getting from what you see in a private sector organization or what one sees in a private sector organization um, to kind of plow through the bureaucracy that the department suffers from that leads to this 50 year difference between what we started with and where we are today. You're right. I did notice immediate um, differences. And what I think it takes is very focused leadership. I wish I had put more on this, uh, on this uh, problem, this challenge. To the extent I focused on civilian personnel, it was mostly at the SES level, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. There is the, the whole breeding ground that leads up to the SES level. I wish in retrospect, I had placed uh, more attention. So again, what, what were some of the findings of the Defense Business Board? Um, first of all, every company in America has a chief human resources officer that directly reports to the CEO. Now in DOD, we have the Undersecretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness, which is a direct report, but the portfolio is so broad that the civilian personnel piece gets lost in the shuffle. There is a Deputy Assistant Secretary that is focused on these issues, but does not receive the time or attention or the focus on these important issues. So our number one finding is USD personnel and readiness, that there ought to be two pieces to that, that are both direct reports to the secretary. And that brings the leadership and the time and attention on the top people's calendars to focus on some of these issues. And then the second thing is we, we believe DOD needs to start looking at and planning for the long term, not just what the short term vacancies are, but what kinds of skill sets are we going to need by 2030 or 2032? Um, what are the skills and competencies that we have today and what are the gaps? These are basic bits of information that the private sector could answer. Most of the big companies mm -hmm. could. But DOD simply um, cannot answer any of these. And then the third key thing that they certainly have the authority to do is start to put in place some of these modern talent management tools so that they can keep track of their skills and do some of these projections on an ongoing basis. 
again, there's baby steps in this direction. It's different across the services. There needs to be a more of a coordinated effort. One of the, one of the steps that I have seen is in the army among uniform personnel. And I wonder if there are some techniques that each of the services are using, because they've been very aggressive, I think, at trying to help the uh, uniform personnel manage their careers and thereby have data and have information to help uh, from the services perspective too. And I wonder how much of that, at least conceptually, maybe not the exact same software systems or whatever, but I wonder how much of that, that planning and, 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 and data management efforts might translate from uniform to civilian. There certainly are um, elements that will translate. And I also want to say um, that there are a lot of, there are very fine people who are thinking about these issues, who are trying to get attention for these issues. So this is by no way an, an indictment upon the people who are working on civilian personnel issues right now in DOD, but they simply don't get the time and attention of the top people. They don't get the funding. There are pockets of excellence in each of the military services in different ways. And by the way, I think we do a way better job of training and developing our military personnel. So there's lessons to be learned across the board here. But at the moment, there's not good information sharing across the Department of Defense. So the Army may have a great program for certain aspects of talent management, but the Navy would know nothing about it. And likewise, the Air Force may have terrific programs that the Army would know nothing about. So that's another thing, more cross-collaboration. Um, I want to go back to the one point that you mentioned about transforming the civilian culture in the way that the private sector does. And uh, your team writes, based on private sector best practices, the department can transform the culture through a number of initiatives. One of those jumped out at me, Debbie, as just kind of mind boggling, to be honest. Ensure civilian training budgets are not repurposed. Where's that money going and why is it going out of training budgets to other parts of the uh, service and DOD budgets? Well, I'll speak for personal from personal experience from when I was Secretary of the Air Force. There is always a certain amount budgeted for civilian personnel training. But in retrospect, what we didn't do enough of then and what we're still not doing enough of now is we're not getting the word out about these programs. So people don't even know that they exist to apply for. So what happens is it goes along and you get close to the end of the fiscal year. And of course, no one wants to see budgets go unspent and so it gets then repurposed or possibly reprogrammed for another purpose because, again, you don't want to let it go to waste. What we need to do is get the word out more about the programs and budgets that exist and encourage people to take advantage of these opportunities. Another one I wanted to ask you about, um, the, it's written this way in the work, modernize the department's workforce planning and data. And you said there are some questions some uh, that the department can't answer right now. Is it because it's not collecting the right data, or is it because it's not collating and curating that data in such a way as to be able to ask that data questions and gain the knowledge that it needs? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> That's what so I was it afraid is collecting, of. It is collecting plenty of data. They can probably tell you chapter and verse about how many people are in what occupational series codes what the heck does that mean? You know, what we need to know is how many engineers and how many data specialists and how many AI specialists are needed today. And oh, by the way, how many are needed uh, in 10 years? 
the skill sets are what they're not capturing. And they also don't capture, even though I may occupy one particular occupational specialty, I may have language skills that, oh, wow, if they only knew that I spoke Farsi, they could really utilize my talents in new and creative ways. But that's an example of a skill set that they at the moment don't capture for their existing people, let alone for the future people. So back to, you know, be, being brief. Yes, yes, and yes, to answer your question. How do you collect that data in an effective way that you can then get access to it? Is that just building a system or is it, I mean, and I don't mean to minimize the, the complexity of that. I'm not suggesting that's simple, but it, it strikes me that these are complicated these are complicated problems with complicated solutions. And I wonder to use the private sector uh, kind of analogy that we've talked about, do these tools exist or is this something that the department will have to figure out on its own? No, these tools do exist. So, uh, you know, if you speak to large companies and there's very few companies that are as large as the department of defense, but we have some models out there of other major corporations and tools that are being used to capture this kind of data right now today. So um, another thing that the private sector uses such tools for is um, sort of leveling, I'll say, leveling the workforce. So frequently, particularly in government contracting, you have certain people and skill sets and so on against a, con a particular contract in the private sector, a contract with the government. If the company loses that contract, all too often they'll lay the people off. When in fact, if they had some of these tools and could cross level, they would see immediately, oh, there's vacancies on this other contract. There's vacancies in this other part of the company. It's the tools that expose this data and allow companies to manage the workforce in a much more modern and productive way. DOD simply doesn't have that today. Madam Secretary, Madam Chair, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks for coming back on the program. Thank you, Francis. You can find a link to the Defense Business Board's work in today's show notes at defensescooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Defense Scoop Podcast. Coming on next week's program, the Chief Information Officer of the Army, Dr. Raj Iyer. You can get next week's Defense Scoop Podcast next Wednesday, June 22nd at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Defense Department's artificial intelligence and data efforts may not look the same way in the future that they look today, and the Pentagon's still struggling with delivering some important software on time. Mark Pomerlo and Brandy Vincent are reporters for Defense Scoop. Brandy, I start with you. The headline of this story, Pentagon's year-old AI and data acceleration effort faces uncertain future. We just got the CDAO office. That's not going away or changing anytime soon, is it? Not exactly, but Kathleen Hicks, who is someone who played a major role in the reshaping of many DOD components under the CDAO, one of her sort of big messages and narratives last week at their annual symposium is that we, as a country, as a department, DOD should really be unafraid to shift approaches or organizational constructs to stay ahead of the curve. So for instance, the ADA initiative, which is only one year old, it's an initiative to really drive um, AI and data efforts across sort of um, the department. It's, it's going to be happening under the CDAO, but it might not be called ADA forever, she says. It might evolve into something else in a few years. And so I think she's just really pushing um, to sort of have DOD personnel not be married to, like she said, organizational constructs or, or certain ways that it, the frameworks have already been laid out 
and instead just sort of embrace and adapt to changes when it comes to innovation. You've had a couple of days or a week or so to kind of reflect and and do some follow-ups on what you learned at that symposium. Anything strike you as something that maybe you didn't expect to hear that came out of that or confirmation of things that you expected to hear? Anything like that, Brandy? There were a few things that I just caught me a little off guard that I thought were notable that didn't make it into any of my stories. For instance, um, Mr. Craig Martell, he is the new CDAO, the first ever in the department. He came over from Lyft from the commercial side. um, And I was expecting him to say what he said about uh, seeing scaling AI in DOD very different from the corporate landscape. Um, I didn't expect him to say that weeks into his job, he still doesn't have a cat card and he stands in the volunteer line outside the Pentagon to get through. Um, And so I think that he's even seeing uh, adjustments that he's going to have to make that he couldn't have expected in that sense. Um, For me as well, I I thought that there was a, a lot of good information shared from the highest ups at the new CDAO and the leaders. We saw the 10 new um, officials that they hired that are really like the CDAO and the deputies that are going to be sort of running the different elements of that office. But I want to hear more from the mid-level and, and sort of those staff who um, maybe were originally working for the Jake, joined the department under the Jake, and then now are under the CDAO. How is this reorganization impacting their day-to-day. That's something I'm going to be chasing looking forward. I think I hear keyboards clacking all over the greater Washington, D.C. area from uh, people who wrote Fix Our Computers writing follow-ups Fix Our Cat Cards because that's kind of an unfortunate place to be. Mark, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Um, The Defense Department struggling with delivering software on time is not a new story. What is new about what you're writing about that fact right now? Sure, Francis. Well, well, this came out in the GAO's annual weapons uh, system assessment uh, that they that they release yearly. Um, and essentially, what they said was uh, that despite some positive steps that have been taken in recent years from the Department of Defense from a software perspective, uh, the majority of the programs that they reviewed actually reported delivering software to users much less frequency. Um, in some cases, a year or more. Now. Uh, this is well behind uh, modern commercial uh, deliveries, and uh, the point of software of the software approach essentially is to get capabilities into the hands of users faster, uh, to really facilitate a quick feedback loop between developers and users. Uh, DoD officials said here that they consider software delivery goals of six months to a year more suitable to account for kind of the safety and security requirements of a lot of their systems. The the work from the Government Accountability Office that you write about in this story, and we have a link to it in the show notes at uh, defensegrouppodcast.com, cites a a number of different techniques that software developers use both in the private sector and in the Defense Department. I don't think anybody's surprised that DOD is behind the private sector. Do we have a sense of whether there is momentum in the right direction, Mark? Is that something that uh, GAO looked at here? They alluded to it. They noted that in February, the department issued a new software modernization strategy uh, where a lot of the the goals that uh, were consistent with with some practices that they mentioned, like agile, uh, DevOps, uh, um, 
software factories were included in that. However, they noted that it's a little bit too soon to tell whether the implementation of this strategy will improve the adoption rates of these practices that they recommend for weapon systems. So essentially, it's a little bit too early to tell, but um, uh, there are there is some inklings that DOD may be moving in the right direction here. Here's another surprise uh, from your story. GAO also discovered the programs continue to report workforce challenges related to software development efforts. That probably doesn't surprise anybody that's been tracking this for more than about 10 minutes either. No, not at all. Um, and, and of course, uh, DOD, unfortunately, isn't alone uh, in, in reporting uh, uh, staffing issues in the tech sector. There's, uh, of course, a huge uh, uh, talent issue across uh, the U.S. and the world. So um, they discovered that a lot of these staffing issues were uh, part of the reason that they're still falling behind. And um, they're looking at different ways at uh, recruiting and retaining some of the talent that that uh, that they need to help push these programs uh, forward in the right direction. Mark, what else are you tracking in the week ahead? What should we pay attention to as you uh, put your coverage out on fedscoop.com? Sure. So uh, the uh, Potomac Officers Club this week is hosting uh, its annual uh, Army IT and Digital Transformation Forum. Now, uh, the Army uh, last year announced uh, this digital transformation strategy, which essentially uh, is moving it forward into kind of a new era. Um, they're trying to modernize a lot of their IT and communication systems, both both from an enterprise um, uh, kind of stationary perspective, as well as their battlefield communications in which troops use uh, to uh, request medevacs or, or, or data to help them with their operations. So uh, looking to maybe hear a little bit more about how they're moving out on that strategy and how they're making progress at moving the army forward uh, into kind of a, a 20 first century army that's a little bit more digitally proficient. Brandy, what's on your radar screen for the week ahead? The one that I'm really um, sort of keen to hear uh, is held by CSIS on Thursday, and it's going to feature um, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Oksana Markarova. I am keen to hear about um, just the U.S. recent $40 billion aid package and tech angles around that from her perspective, um, looking at that conflict going forward. Randy Vincent, Mark Pomerlo, great to talk to you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. You can read more about all these stories and see all of Brandy's and Mark's coverage throughout the coming week with the links in today's show notes at defensescooppodcast.com. The Defense Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Defense Scoop Podcast, Leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Defense Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Defense Scoop podcast returns next Wednesday. Till then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks very much for listening.